One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. The nearly new Opel sale is now on. Huge savings on the Opel Corsa, Astra, Crossland and Grandland. And flexible finance options to suit all budgets. See blackstonemotors.ie You're very welcome to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up on today's show, we're looking ahead to the Sound Festival in the company of Olivia Duff and cheesemaker Michael Finnegan. Sinead Crowther's in the house from Soothing Solutions in Dundalk. Oh, her company has received a huge accolade. We have your top five countdown. And Sinead Burke brings us her banter. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to talk to us on the show this afternoon. But we begin today with sport. And uh, for many listening today, I, I don't have to remind you, uh, Tullamore uh, played against Summerhill in the Leinster Club Football Championship at the weekend. Fantastic win for Summerhill. But right at the end of the game, there was controversy. And subsequently... Yes, Summerhill won, but uh, Tullamore weren't happy. And referee Barry Tiernan was pushed to the ground by a spectator or somebody involved with the Tullamore, Tullamore Club. Colm Keyes, fine journalist, great fella, writes for the Independent Newspaper Group, has a wonderful piece on it. Check it out. It's online there to read in detail. And I'm delighted to say he's obliged us by joining me on Late Lunch today. Colm, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Not at all. You're very welcome. Um, this incident, just a- another incident on the road and the long road of incidents that shows no sign of, uh, you know, getting any better. That's really the premise of your article, isn't it? That, you know, th- it's been legislated for in the GAA. We're talking about the GAA now in particular, but other sports as well. But the GAA has been legislated for. But you don't see it having an effect. Uh, not in the short term. Jerry, certainly not in the short term. Obviously, there's more, as more education and the message is driven home. Maybe that does seep down further down to those who will be the future, both in terms of coaches, uh, management and players. Maybe the education at lower level can improve and can be embellished to the point where respect for officials, match officials, is recovered. But... Last year was probably the apex, if you recall. There were some very serious incidents in Wexford. There was games abandoned in, in Kerry. There was a referee knocked over in Roscommon. Uh, and many other incidents. And we don't hear them all. It's just those that are mm. maybe reported on and highlighted. And the GA took action, and it came from Wexford, that they doubled the minimum suspension. So any assault on a referee or any physical interference used to be 48-week minimum ban, went up to 96 weeks. And they lifted the cap. There was always a cap of a two-year suspension, uh, maximum suspension in the GAA. That was lifted to allow for five and indeed ten-year proposed suspensions as well. Don't know that that message land properly because 
the red mist is always going to descend. And especially at this time of year, you have a lot of county finals, you have a lot of important games that mean a lot to the participants. And sometimes that just that red mist descends and the first person to turn to, rather than looking at themselves, is always the referee. And I genuinely feel that it's not improving. Uh, I know this is just a snapshot and it's just one game out of many, but there are other examples and other instances. There's a referee... Uh, who was abused down in Wexford again, and they've issued a 10-year, I mentioned that, a 10-year suspension. Mm. So this is ongoing, and as you said at the outset, it is not just confined to Gaelic games. Um, a joint Oireachtas committee, and I mentioned that in the piece yeah. uh, two years ago, uh, set out to establish a report which has some recommendations out of it, uh, but that was on the back of a referee's downing tools in Dublin district school boys and schoolgirls school leagues, uh, which is particularly hazardous for referees too. So it's not just a GA problem, and indeed it's probably a societal problem. The respect for administration and those in charge is lessening all the time, and people feel that they can do and say as as they please to mm. to, to referees and to administrators in general. And that's not probably that's that's across almost every walk of life where where respect is probably diminished, and it's certainly manifesting on the sports fields. And and the outcome of that is, well, in time, less and less people will put themselves forward yeah. for to do these duties. And without them, there will be no games. And that's the danger five and ten years down the line, that young people now who see all this will say, that's not something I ever want to get into. You also quote the University of Ulster School of Psychology in Coleraine, who uh, carried out a study on this, and it found that 94% of officials were verbally abused, 23% physically abused in the GAA but you also have the stat from English soccer 93.8% of soccer referees uh, f- uh, verbally abused and almost 20% uh, physically as well do you know what what, what we're mis- missing here Colm if you talk we've mentioned GAA we've mentioned soccer we haven't mentioned rugby and is that significant because when you look at rugby look at the World Cup at the moment the respect for referees you know what I'm getting at is rugby uh, immune from this well, you can imagine if at the end of the England-South Africa game there's a decision made uh, on a scrum that mm. effectively puts South Africa into the World Cup final from a penalty. Um, and it's a disputed decision too because obviously experts in the scrum, and I'm no expert on the scrum, Jerry, obviously, but they are at odds over whether it should have been a penalty. So it's in dispute. Can you imagine a decision like that at the end of a, 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 an important Gaelic football match, club championship match somewhere, there, there'd be consternation over something like that, that that is effectively the referee has decided with his subjective judgment. And obviously that's what the referee is trusted to make the right decision in rugby. And that is, that is a cultural thing, whether people in GA and soccer like it or not, there is, a greater, there is a greater respect that comes from the bottom up, mm. obviously from uh, colleges, rugby, um, and right throughout rugby clubs throughout throughout the country, there is that. Now, there's far less games, and also it's a more static game, so it's more based on interpretations and all of that. So it's a static game, and even though there is a lot of contact and a lot of conf- confrontation, um, generally, generally the referee is trusted to get on with it. That just culture is not there in Gaelic games, and it's not there. It's not there in soccer too. No. So there is there is quite a difference. You mentioned that report. Uh, which was put together by the University of Ulster. And there were some shocking outcomes of that, mm. uh, really. And for 
you know, for Gaelic games referees to be on a par with with English soccer referees um, for verbal abuse, it, it just shows where it is right now. You you know the atmosphere at an English soccer league match. Yeah, uh, it's it's quite fervent, and for for referees to report. As for as many referees in Gaelic games to report verbal abuse mm-hmm. as English soccer league referees, I think really says it's way above Gaelic games referees. Uh, according to this survey, will suffer way more abuse than Dutch and Danish referees. I probably didn't mention that in the piece, but mm. that is there in that report too. That it's it's well above that. So within that within the confinement of Gaelic games, it's quite evident from Noel Brick's report in the University of Ulster just how serious abuse is. You also uh, cite the example of uh, New South Wales in Australia, uh, where they've really got tough on this. And really, the, the, the bottom line with what you've written as well is you are actually saying, is it time for the state to get involved here? Now, look, there are some of these cases we've, uh, you've touched on there where the law has been involved and people have uh, a criminal uh, conviction against them. But is it really? Do we have to go to the state to legislate for this? Well, in New South Wales, I mentioned that designated stadia, they are probably stadia that are better, uh, that would have better security. But in designated stadia, there is a a no-entry clause uh, bound by law. Uh, You cannot enter the the field of play. Now, how how operable would that be? How implementable would it be in in the context of uh, games that take place in, you know, championship games, say, up and down the country. It would be very, very difficult to implement. But as a statement, as a statement, you could could, uh, apply a policy, a no-entry policy onto sports fields as long as a referee is there, because that would give them the ultimate protection. Obviously, it would be very, very difficult, as I said, to implement. But really... People will always say, well, what are the GAA? Why aren't they getting tougher? What are they doing about this? But apart from you know highlighting and driving home the message more and really bumping up the suspensions as they have done in the last year it's very very difficult uh to suppress people's uh, misbehavior like that especially towards officials and really it is coming to the point where you know if numbers continue to deplete refereeing numbers continue to deplete and the games are under threat it could be a matter for the state to look in and to perhaps legislate for it. Difficult as it would be, and I know people say we have a lot better things to do and really the organisations themselves should be better able to police that. But in time, I really feel numbers will suffer. And at that point, it, there may be a state intervention needed. Obviously, and I'll stress that, there's more. There's obviously bigger things going on in the world and in the mm. country and all of that that, you know, that needs to, needs to be legislated for. But it is something down the line. They've already, that joint committee has already met and made recommendations. So they obviously are keeping a watchful eye on this, on the back of uh, those issues in the Dublin District School Boys and School Girls Leagues. So they obviously have a watching brief of this and they have acted on it with a series of recommendations. The implementation of a code of conduct. Most organisations would have their own code of conduct anyway. But it may need something down the line to reinforce this more to offer better protections for match officials. My oh my, uh, we leave that thought with listeners. Uh, imagine the state having to come in and intervene. You did say something to me there earlier, I just want to come back to, and you said perhaps in future generations this will improve. But you know as well as myself, Colm, uh, GA. let's talk about GA and soccer, and 
young people, you can teach them and bring them in and talk to them, whatever. But when adults like ourselves and young, younger, much younger than myself lose the plot at games and, you know, they see that example. And also look at even, can I mention the Premier League in England, the way they surround referees and harangue referees as well. The example is shocking. That's true. The example of uh, Premier League and players getting around a referee, and you'd wonder why there isn't uh, that there isn't a policy whereby only the captain can approach a referee. That, by and large, that's the situation in rugby that the captain, the referee, would speak to the captains only. I know the GAA tried uh, a, a club, uh, one of the most recent congresses, did try to introduce that that captains could go up and have a word and only captains. And perhaps there should have been an exclusion zone other than that around the referee unless he calls a player in. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't passed. In fact, it was barely discussed. But I did think it offered a possible solution, uh, certainly on the field of play. But that's a remove from spectators and supporters coming in onto the pitch afterwards. Where, where I feel the real danger for, for referees and match officials uh, is not so, much, not so much the players or even the, uh, even the, the respective team mentors it's who comes in after that uh, that, the, that, the real, that the bigger issue is, should I say. Uh, it, it, comments are coming to me. Keep them coming. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Just listen to this one. Just pick this one out. Um, what happened was wrong, but you train all year to win a championship and you're done out of a game by a little dictator because most are dictators, uh, in my opinion, and all you have to do is look back. Oh, no, no, no. At 2010. <laughs> no, we're not going there. I can assure you about that. I know what you're talking The Leinster finally infamous as well. But, you know, there's a view, Callum. You know what I mean? A view from a listener today. That's a view for sure, yeah. and it's 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 hard to take. But does it justify pushing an official over? Of no, course it doesn't. I mean, no, that's not that's not reasonable or rational. But accepted that people will feel very sore over decisions that go against them, especially when they have invested so much time. But mistakes are made by players and management too, and mistakes are made by referees. Except people will put the arm around the player. Mm. And they might remove the manager at a subsequent uh, annual general meeting, but the remedy for the referee is to go up and challenge him and to, you know, to shout and to and everything else that they face. I mean, I, I've mentioned this before. You watch a referee at the end of a game, and it's particularly tight and particularly testy. They will stand in the middle of the pitch, Jerry, and they will look for the. They'll assess. The, they'll they'll have a look around and they'll assess to see what's the. What's mm. the best way off the pitch here? What's the safest route I can take off here? Yeah. Now, that's no real basis for, for no. games and for games management either. And it does happen, and I'm sure there are plenty of referees who will testify to that, that they have to watch. Some, some of them will even blow a final whistle close to the exit yes. of where they know they're getting out because that's the, the safest route. Mm. No way for games to be run in any respect. Mm. Not taken on board. Obviously, of course, they make mistakes. They're far, far from from being infallible of course we know that but player makes a mistake and the arm will be put around him uh, Anne agrees with you I agree with Colm uh, you know it will come to a point where people will face the law and feels as well the fines are not enough up the fines and bans as well says Anne and name and shame all concerned Oh, look, uh, you know, Colm, to, just to finish today, I really enjoyed reading what you had to say. It's it's well thought out and it, it really does make us all think, no referees, Colm, this is the bottom line, no games. Yeah, the referees probably, Jerry, don't realise the power that they have, uh, that if they withdraw their services at any stage against a particular club, if, if there are 
you know, repeat incidents mm. and the recurring theme with a particular club, that they would throw that. There's no games for anyone in that club no. at that stage. And that's a powerful tool to have, and one that maybe, maybe that could be used. Obviously, you can punish the club rather than, rather than uh, you know, I've mentioned state legislation. I think that's far, far down the road, yes. and I do think it would have to get a lot worse, obviously, obviously for that, for games. But maybe the clubs should be more liable and look at that in, in, a, in a broader sense rather yeah. than the, just the individual, that yes. the, the, the club takes the responsibility. Mm. Hard and all as it would be, mm. but remedies will be re- required if the numbers of referees are to keep coming, the recruitment. Column, you're great. Uh, read this man. He is always well worth checking out in the Irish Independent. Sunday Independent, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Sherry. Take care. Column Keys there. Great guy. Uh, and a mead man too. Late Lunch LMFM Radio. If you have anything to say about referees and what we've been talking about, anything else in your mind, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Dermot Kennedy, better days on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon. And let's hope there are better days for referees ahead than there have been in the past. Listener says, the person who used the word dictator should not get airtime. The correct decision was made in the end, but that wasn't good enough. I absolutely agree with you. I think everybody does subsequently. The referee, in the end of, at the end of the day, got the decision right when he it, it reversed his earlier decision. We we understand that, and uh, you know I think that person commenting like that has a view on on referees maybe uh, formed over a number of years with uh, different referees and it's sort of a generalisation as well. Thanks for your comment, love it. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text. Just to let you know, the dog show. We talked to Huey Rooney and the people from CF on the show on Monday. They've had to cancel it because of the ground conditions with the rain recently and what's to come. The Drogheda German Shepherd Club Dog Show not going ahead this weekend will be arranged at a future date, but they've given €4,000 cash to CF. Well done to all concerned. After two on late lunch, what a story. Sinead Crowther from Soothing Solutions joins me. Column Key's top of the show there and uh, a listener has said, Mr Kelly... My God, it's a long time since I've been called Mr. Kelly. Uh, You seem to think that the referee is always correct, are they? No, they're not always correct. Sure, referees are fallible like the rest of us. Are we always right? No, we're not. Sure, look at the VAR thing in England where they're watching with cameras, minute detail, and they even get it wrong. Never mind a poor man or woman in the middle who has to make the call instantaneously. No, 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 I didn't say that, and I'd never say that. They are fallible, aren't we all? And Danny was on to say he watches professional cycling and the referees are very strict. If any offence at all is committed, you're gone. They don't tolerate anything. So there you are, a view from the cycling world. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with me on the show. I am truly delighted to say hello to my next guest because when I tell you that she's the founder and CEO of Soothing Solutions, who are based in Dundalk, and... They and she have just been named Enterprise Ireland High Potential Startup Founder of the Year for 2023. Woohoo! Sinead Crowther, welcome to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thanks. That's you. a lovely ring to it, hasn't it? It does. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, I can live with it. <laughs> I looked at the, uh, the shortlist. Oh my God. To be named, you being named as the winner for 23, it's a wonderful achievement. It's pretty It's pretty big and as far as I know, uh, the first female-led company to win that award and the first non-tech company. So really proud of that. Ah, you're doing the Northeast. <laughs> Go proud. on, the girls. Go on, <laughs> Come on, the girls is right. 
But this this is a, a, a you know a, such a fill up, such a shot in the arm, isn't it for you and everybody involved with Soothing Solutions? It really is. It's such a prestigious award. Um, it's only run in five years, and um, really still can't believe we won it. But I suppose it's that thing where you have to realise we won it for a reason. It was deserved, I suppose. And I suppose telling ourselves that is. It's kind of the tricky part, but we're starting to believe it now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, believe it, believe it for sure. People listening today who may not be familiar with you or what you do, just explain, what is Soothing Solutions? What do you do? Well, Soothing Solutions, by name, uh, we invented a product to soothe children's sore throats and coughs. So the product is called Tonstix. It's essentially a child-friendly throat lozenge. So it's in the form of a lollipop, but it's not a hard candy. It's honey, uh, 50% honey in a jelly base that melts in the child's mouth. So therefore coats the throat, given the relief we get from a a lozenge, but in a child-friendly way. And the idea, go back, let's go back, because this happened, I I can see you, was it New Year's Day 2017 when your world was totally different, you sat down at the computer, is that right? It all began there. That's correct. So I had been separated, I had had tough times financially trying to keep the roof over my children's house, I had side four children. And um, my son had an accident. It was pretty horrendous. And he ended up fighting sepsis and he needed skin grafts. Uh, It happened when I was in work. Very traumatising. And then I was terrified to leave them. So I didn't go back to that job. I didn't know that was my last day in the job. And um, I was then on full time loan parents benefits as a separated mother with four kids and a mortgage. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to do something. And when my son was in the hospital it got to a really critical point and I had kind of held his little hand and said please hang on in here please and you know mammy's going to find a way to make life better for us all and then New Year's Day I was thinking I've had this idea for years and I used to joke with my pharmacy colleagues and say this is my dragon's den idea I'm gonna eventually do this but you never do so my hand was forced I guess and I thought my my motivation was if I can make this idea come to life from home, I would never have to leave them. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yes, and they would be safe here and um, I maybe could make some money. And I Googled, how do you make a product from scratch? I'm a pharmaceutical technician. I have no background in business like zero and I've no background in product development or, you know, that type of thing. And it brought me to Enterprise Ireland's website and they had a, a course called New Frontiers for people who had ideas And I just filled in the form and hit send. And then they phoned me a couple of days later to say, this is really interesting. We've looked at throat lozenges for children and they don't exist. So we'd like to talk to you. And that's where it started. My, oh my. It nearly, you know, you connected with that, you know, that possibility. It nearly was meant to be, wasn't it? When you think back. I feel like, you know, a really bad thing happened, but I was able to change our lives because of it in a really Mm. positive way. But that's because there is programs and support here to do something like that. Yeah. But you know, from what you say there, there was a long, you know, road before, you know, you actually, you know, develop your first product and that as well. You got wonderful assistance. I've seen you acknowledge that many times. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it took five years to develop the product. So essentially it's a it's a jelly lollipop but putting jelly on a stick and merging those two processes are very complicated and then I had done a lot of research well 25 years in pharmacy talking to parents and then my new research kind of established that parents didn't want any extra medications or sugars or anything nasty so to formulate something that encapsulated all of those things was really difficult and then engineering machinery that we could make it 
to a big scale because initially I thought I'd sell this into a few pharmacies. And then when I started talking to pharmacy buyers, they they all said, oh my gosh, if you make that, we would stock it. Like that th- this is needed. So from concept to landing on shelf was five years. <laughs> That's a it was l- a bit of a stretch. A long time, you know, for to keep going and keep pushing. Did you, during those five hours, did you ever reach a point where you said, it ain't going to happen? Did you ever, or did you have total belief in, in, you know, your concept, your idea that one day it would be so successful? It's really strange because being a lone parent and having, you know, relationships break down and things like that, I had no confidence in myself. Mm. But one thing I was sure of was this product, if I could get it made, it would really help children. And that belief kept me going. I just kept finding the next grant or the next the next programme to go on to learn more to allow me to bring it to market. And you did it. And yeah. Five years, 60 months, you know what I mean? Yeah. 60 months. Uh, when, when you think of that length of time, how did you sustain yourself during that time? You know, you're on your own, you have four yeah. children, you mentioned the mortgage and everything that goes along with, oh my God, Sinead. Well, you know, I was a lone parent and I worked part 20 hours a week in the pharmacy and had lone parents part time and then I went on full time. But then um, COVID happened. So I had asked my co-founder to join me at that stage um, because she had a background in business and engineering and I knew it was a two woman job. So she joined me then. So I, from that point on, it wasn't a Sinead show anymore. It was a we effort. <laughs> um, so she very much jumped in and assisted the development of the manufacturing process to scale. And um, what happened then was we got a grant from Enterprise Ireland. It was €350 Euro a week and loan parent benefit. And that's what I lived on. But I wasn't leaving a big six figure corporate salary. So when you have nothing, you can manage on very little. And lockdown, sure, we weren't going anywhere. We weren't spending any money. I didn't have to pay a childminder. So it actually worked out well for me. Mm. (laughs) I have to come to the point where you you have your prototypes and people test it, all that stuff that you have to go through. And then then you launch the product and you send it out there. What, What were you feeling when, you know, when it went into the first few pharmacies on the shelves? Terrified. <laughs> Will people like it? Will this make sense? Because when you're so buried deep in something, you don't look up. So I had done years of research, but now was the moment of truth. So the pharmacies bought it in, but would people know what it was to buy the product? And, and would they trust that this was going to cause their children no harm? Most important. Mm. So it took a while to convey that message. I think really we're, we launched May 2022, so a year and a half in now. Finally, people are realising this really helps. And, you know, that ripple effect is starting to happen where we're, we're selling a bit more now this year than we did this time last year. It's our second winter and um, we can see just through social media and messages that more people are becoming aware and really love, love using product for their children, which is great. My God, this time of the year, I have grandchildren and I know I'm back, you know, uh, understanding the colds, the sore throats, the runny noses, uh, teething, all that type of stuff. God almighty, anything that relieves that and in particular, your wonderful tan sticks, that works. Yeah, it does work. It's a godsend, isn't it? It really is. And and we put little stickers in the pack. So when they're finished with the product, they can dress the little stick up and um, children really enjoy it. Cheers them up as well. Mm. Gives the mum a minute to maybe grab some tea. (laughs) And if they have a jelly honey pop in their mouth, they're not screaming for five minutes. (laughs) Well, you know what, folks, if you're listening to us today, go on, put the kettle on, grab a (laughs) cup of tea there, because we're just going to take a wee short break. Sinead Crowther is staying with me on late lunch. What an inspirational woman. Go nowhere. 
you'd never get tired of somebody saying that, would you? Well, no. I, I, I can let I can let I can listen to it. I can listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on that journey you described, I want to come back to that for a moment. You know, and where it began in 2017, five years till you got the product up, and now you're, you know, you're stocked in pharmacies all over Ireland and Northern Ireland. You've been uh, on Amazon UK as well, and you're growing. You're growing now. But along that journey, if you were to pick out a couple of things or people. Who sustained you, or who were very important to you? Who would that be? Or am I putting you on the spot? Were there too no, many? No, no. I can I can easily think. So first and foremost, my closest friends. So I have I'm the youngest of six from Finglas, a dub, and um, but I live live out here in this direction. And so day to day, my family have full time jobs and mortgages, mm. and they're, they're they love when I say this a lot older than me. <laughs> so um, they weren't able to drop everything and come if I needed help. So my closest friends and neighbours were the people who helped nice. and. You know, one of them in particular, my friend Dee from Tesco, she would sit with uh, the kids while I went and did the first course with Enterprise Ireland. So without her, I couldn't have started considering this as a as a concept, you know, and I have many friends like her. I'm so lucky and I couldn't be sitting here in front of you without them. Isn't that lovely yeah. and lovely to mention that lady in particular. But there are more of you out there that you're listening. You know who you are and Sinead really appreciates what you've done for her. Now, coming back to yourself, you, there were four littlies really when all this began for you. They've grown up a little bit now. Yeah. Your son, tell me about your son. Your oldest son is 22. 22. Yeah. And this woman couldn't have a 22 year old son. But there you go. <laughs> these things happen. Um a big day yesterday. Tell us. Yeah, so he, he graduated with honours uh, an English degree in DCU. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. What's his name? Jack. Congratulations, Jack. Congra- <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you're so proud of well, him. Well, he's so determined. Yes. All, he did all the work, so he deserved it all. Ah, well done. And then you have three others as well. And uh, the youngest is nine. And you're still mammy and all that too. All concerned, of course. That has to be done. Big part of your life too. Is it difficult to switch off as a CEO and Soothing Solutions being your baby? It is. I mean, it's not a job. It's 100% your lifestyle because you're always thinking of something that could be done or that you could do better or how to connect with people or how to improve the product. So you never really switch off. Mm. It's it's just like the best hobby you could have. <laughs> I'm really lucky. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Now, Tonstick is the pro- is the product. Do you see yourself developing other products? Is that in your future? Yeah. So we we just launched our second product at the end of August and it's a travel products so Tonstick's Travel Pops and what it is it's the same honey base that melts in the mouth but there is ginger and I suppose green tea extract in it and what that does is help calm and settle during journeys so car journeys and the naturally occurring sugars if your child is feeling nauseated or anything can really help with that if they're using in a car or train or a boat but the the dream scenario is when you're on a flight and your child's ears are popping and they scream so this pop the sucking action facilitates relief of that pressure so we're chatting to airlines to see could they have it on board the flights where you really need it and WH Smith have stocked us in their airport stores in Dublin Cork and Shannon straight off the bat so just again solving another real problem when you have that those small kids and it's a nightmare you, you dread getting on the plane mm. you know? oh, I've been on those flights and felt yeah. so sorry yeah. for the parents as well with that particular issue you're made for the airlines come on airlines this is a no brainer Tonstick you should have it we're ready for you <laughs> yeah you're ready to go oh my word you're a great story you really are now before we finish today 
you you want to do something on late lunch. Tell us what you want to do. Yeah, so as a lone parent, it's very it can be very isolating when your children are young. You can't afford to go out a lot and participate with your friends and you hide how you're feeling and your financial worries because you feel shame. And I just wanted to read this poem out to all my friends who saw through that. Away you go. Here she is, Sinead. Have you a name on it? What's the name? It's called The Uninvited Friend. I have an uninvited friend. She came to my door last night. Again, I almost pretended to be out. But it was too late. She saw me peering through the blinds and she can sense my energy anyway. I let my friend in and she wrapped her arms around me uninvited. We stayed like that quietly, just some sobbing, some sighing and a little crying. Without saying a single word, my friend gave me three things. She gave me a hug. She gave me some ice cream, my favourite kind. And most of all, she gave me back my hope. I had lost it again, you see, outside somewhere. She found it like she always does and brought it back to me uninvited. I hope you have an uninvited friend like mine. I can't imagine my life without them. Wow. Wow. I really mean that. I hope everyone has friends like that. And if you know someone in that situation, be their uninvited friend. It's beautiful. It was. It really choked me up. I found that today. Yeah, I thought it would be a really great time to read it out. If anyone's in that situation, you know, you will you will get there. If you're lucky with friends like me as well, you'll be extra. You'll do extra good. I think we should just leave everybody in late lunchland with that thought today. It's beautiful. You are inspirational. Congratulations on this award. Your success with Soothing Solutions and Tonstick and continued success in the future. Sinead Crowther, it's been great meeting you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. And How Do I Live? What a beautiful song that is. Isn't Sinead Crowther just inspirational? What a wonderful, wonderful woman and deserves all the success that has come her way. Now, um, I don't mean to be down this afternoon on the show, but did you see in Lewiston, Maine, in the United States, they think at least 20 pe- 22 people are dead in a mass shooting. Another mass shooting. A guy just went ballistic. I'm not even going to mention it anymore because guns in the States and mass shootings are just so commonplace. It's shocking. It really, really is shocking. God help all those who are suffering today after that. And I think the uh, guy with the gun is still loose and they haven't got him yet, which is even worse. It really, really is. Um, what else was it to say to you? Oh, God, stuff like that just gets to me. And what's going on in the world? You just despair at times, wouldn't you? But you have to keep the old head up because if we all drop our heads and go down, well, what future is there for any of us? But it is, it really is shocking. There's a message uh, come to me about Colm Keyes and our chat about refereeing and the abuse and assault and referees. Good afternoon, Jerry and Louise. I'm a referee and judge with the Holy Family Boxing Club. What a wonderful club. Respect is very high between all involved. Referees, judges, coaches and boxers. You can have the odd bad decision, but a boxer will dust himself down and come back stronger. Thank you indeed for that message. Keep them coming to me. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text. Really looking forward to meeting my next guest, the wonderful Olivia Duff from the Headford Arms in Kells and Michael Finnegan. Cheese. Talk about cheese. This man knows his cheese for sure in the Boyne Valley. And we're looking ahead with them uh, to the Sound Festival that's happening in Kells in early November. 
I've been giving away tickets to the Sound Festival of Food and Culture. It's taking place in Kells from the 2nd to the 5th of November. And I have another pair of tickets to give away today. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But we're going to talk about it for the next while. And I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch. She hasn't been here for a while. Olivia Duff from the Hedford Arms is here. And from Boyne Valley Cheese, Michael Finnegan. Great to see both of you. Thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks for having Great us to have Not at all. You're very welcome back. What's in the water in Kells, will you tell me? Because you have the most inventive, <laughs> creative people I've ever come across. Now, we love everybody in the North East and Louth and Mead, but whatever it is, but what is it? Well, two things. It's the book, definitely. We're never, I, I don't think we'll ever see it back from Trinity, but there's definitely, there's that story and there is the creative um, touch uh, that flows through the waters and Kells as you say and then they say there's a magnet in the cross as well Jerry. <laughs> you know um, but but yes there's between Hinterland Festival mm. the sawmills now and there's going to be a national centre for typology um, it's really exciting and, and we're all working together you yeah. know so collaboration is the name of the game and may I say uh, to Teresa and everybody over there the Calvary on Sunday we go from we've been over a few times from Drogheda that Calvary my god it's it's nearly like a tradition isn't it at this stage absolutely the it's, Sunday it's, Calvary it's, now, it's every day I know culture isn't Sunday. it yes yeah. it really I is I think you know the, uh, so many Irish people still love as they say the dinner in the middle of the day mm. and so it's about my kids will let me know if the gravy's not right <laughs> So it's about the gravy, it's about the stuffing, it's about oh, yeah. really well sourced meat yes. and yeah, you know, keeping it wholesome and homemade. And, and you don't hold back on the portions, I'm just saying that now, come on, there's no, there's no you'll be full when you're leaving, that's that's for sure. Always seconds, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about this festival, the 2nd to the 5th. My God, I look at the lineup and the events and the people you have coming. Fantastic. Yeah, it's in its fifth year. Uh, it started in 2018. Um and then, of course, we all know what happened. COVID came. Um, Sally and John McKenna said it was the best new food festival in Ireland and to watch out. So I suppose we really feel this year is the first year we're, we're properly back at it. And excuse a pun, there's a real appetite. Mm. Um, we know and we're 100% behind Puka and all of the Halloween stuff going on as well in the region. But this is about food and culture in the darkest days between the second and the fifth. And it's not it's not just about cookery demos. It's about celebrating our relationship with food yeah. uh, in a festival. So it's, you know, there there's song and there's poetry. There's serious discussions. So on this on the Friday, we start off, you know, with our symposium and our our theme this year is our relationship with cattle and beef and dairy down through the years. So we have amazing speakers there from Italy, Dr. Brendan Dunford coming up from the Burren and our relationship with farming, the Burren and the Boyne. We have TY schools competition, so there's an educational piece. And then we go into great crack stuff like a literary pub crawl where you have a, a bite to eat and a song um, in each pub around the town. Um, and so it's 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 a festival of a difference. I think it also really reflects Kells and our creative, um, you know, piece. And of course, it kind of came from the hinterland background as yeah. well. So that literary background. So everyone that's doing a demo is a pub 
published artist. Yes. So they come with their cookbook. Oh, fantastic. So, um, so yeah, and there's so much going on. We'll come back to it in a moment. Yeah, sure. I have a man sitting beside here that I'm, I'm dying <laughs> to talk to on late lunch, of course, in the past. And I'm delighted to welcome him back. Michael Finnegan from Boyne Valley Cheese. And you have the most beautiful wheel of cheese sitting <laughs> in front of me. What are you trying to do, Michael, yeah, to I'm me? Just, I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing <laughs> you certainly you. are. <laughs> Tell us about this wheel of cheese. So this is uh, my new cheese, Rackenny. As you can see there, they're doing very very well in the football, as most people will oh. know. Uh, so so I, a point in our family. Uh, we, had, we had someone on the league team. Oh. <laughs> anyway, well done, Radcan. It's, it's yeah. my it's my parish. Yeah. So, so uh, as a new cheese, I had to name uh, a lot of good cheeses are named by parishes and things. So I said yes. I'd have to get the name out there. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, a mature, hard uh, white goat's cheese. So uh, I, I have a little slice for you there. And uh, yeah, no, it's going very it's getting out there. It's, it's very popular. So. Um, and your originals, the other two, tell yeah. me about that. They're flying for Absolutely, you. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I started with the Boyne Valley Blue, yep. which is uh, like a medium strength blue goat's cheese, and then the Boyne Valley Bon, which is uh, based on a French Tom style. Uh, it's a kind of a semi hard white goat's cheese. So they're my kind of my main two, and then I'm trying to get this one out there now as well. How many goats have you? I have 250 milking goats, so loads to keep me busy. I milked them this morning, and I have to go back now after this and <laughs> milk them again. And uh, yeah, no, I milk all year round, every day of the year and uh, I make all the cheese on the farm. So obviously then you have them uh, in, in phases where they come into milk production. Absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it's, very, it's very like cow farming so you, you would milk them you'd have two herds a spring and an autumn yeah. uh, so I'd have some of the goats milking uh, uh, having their kids in March and then some of them in September. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so we That sustains you all year then. That's exactly so that's, it. Yeah, and yeah. and milked by machines. Yeah, yeah just like a cow milk, yeah, like milking parlour. Yeah, I have a yeah. 20 aside rapid exit, uh, rapid exit milking parlour and I can milk them all in about an hour and a half. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah. How much... Let's talk about cheese quantity first. What, what quantity of cheese would you produce so in a year? So this wheel here in front of you, I know the listeners can't see it, but it's, it's a three kilo round wheel of cheese. Uh, it takes about um, 10 litres of milk to make one kilo of cheese. So right. there's about 30 litres going into that. Into that That gives you an idea. Yeah, that, yeah. by God, yeah. lots of milk to, you know, end up with a product like this. And are you... Are you using your milk? Is it just for cheese production for yourself, or do you do anything else with the goat's milk? Uh, no, no, all my milk now. Like I used to supply a co-op, but yeah. I've grown and grown and grown, and now all my milk you need is it all to the cheese. Yeah, so I've a, I've a t- over a thousand liter uh, milk vat. Uh, you know that uh, um, all the milk goes into, uh, and uh, I, I'll make you know twenty or thirty of these. Uh, at a time, you know, so mm. uh, that's that's what comes out of it. How do you sell your cheese? Where, where can people find? Well, obviously, the it goes to lovely hotels like uh, <laughs> you know, yes. Kells, yeah, yes. uh, and pretty much all over the country. So I would, uh, it's in Tesco's, it's in like the likes of Sheridan Cheesemongers and um, small independent che- uh, cheese shops all over the country. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, it goes to restaurants and hotels through mm. kind of distributors, you know, all over do the you country. Do you do any online? Uh, I do. I have a website you? as well. Yeah, yeah. just Boyne Valley Cheese at uh, uh, you know dot ie and. Uh, yeah, it's it's there too. The blue cheese. I don't know what it is about blue oh, cheese, but when you start, Michael, yeah. once you start, you can't stop at that. So that's <laughs> my problem with it. You know, it's, it, it's and it's not too strong. That's the key. Yes, of my one. It's I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lovely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because you know, if you're if you're m- making the the switch from two blue cheese, yeah. sometimes that when you get a real strong one, it 
knock you. It can put you off. But a bit, this yeah. won't. It certainly won't. So is it just you, or have you? Is it help? Uh, you know, with all those. Well, yeah. I suppose I'm only a small business. It's just me full time, and then my wife is a nurse in the Lourdes, actually in Drogheda here. She helps me when she's not in the hospital, and then uh, I can have family help. And my dad's yeah. semi-retired. He drops a bit of cheese off. He loves going up to Headford there to. He, he gets <laughs> tips for horses and things when he he meets chefs Teresa. and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yes, I've helped. Like we're, we're a proper kind of small family business. Teresa is the woman for the tips. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, she knows her stuff. That is for sure. But when are you? When are you on in the festival? Yeah, well, so yeah. I suppose uh, uh, like I'm involved in two main ones, yep. which is there's a food uh, a food tour on a Saturday morning, uh, which the, it's the Boyne Valley f- uh, Food Safari, and it's uh, a bus that's leaving from from Kells. The, the, yeah, the, the, the hub there. We've a hub in the nuns' chapels yeah. <laughs> across the road <laughs> this year. That's new. So. And so, yeah. Yeah, so there's a bus leaving there. So all you got to do is get there and hop on the bus, and then you're taken care of. You're going to three uh, producers. You're going to myself first, where you're going to see all the goats, uh, and I'll show you where I make the cheese and tell you all about the making and we get to eat lots of cheese t- taste lots of cheese uh, and then you go on to Mark is a cider maker down the road the Cockagee or the Slane um, yes, yes, Cider Mill yes. so he's just down the road for me and uh, I'll be honest with you that's my favourite part of the Andy Tour <laughs> because he makes a range of lovely ciders you know champagne ciders Incredible. and then he has three kind of in a in a series and then he he makes perry as well yeah. and, like, and so he, he, like he's got this tasting room it's just the best thing ever I hope you're not milking after you visit that place <laughs> no that's where we're going after this <laughs> absolutely and, and he's, he's my best mate because he loves cheese and I love his cider so we do swaps all the time yeah uh, and then the third producer is Matry Mill there so you're going oh, to, which is of course fantastic history there mm. with the mill uh, and you get to see how it all works and uh, and that as well so yeah that's um, that's the food tour uh, and then I'm also involved in of course later on the day so I'll have done the tour uh, Kevin or not Kevin uh, John and Sally McKenna Yes. Uh, are coming up and they're doing uh, like a whole history of uh, farmhouse cheese in Ireland uh, and of course these guys they know all the cheesemakers oh, yeah. they, they're very uh, they've got great knowledge about the whole thing yeah. they've been to my place before actually uh, and uh, yeah so I'm going to be part of that where they're going to have myself and I think Kevin Sheridan and lovely yeah, have a good Sean discussion lovely oh is she well. oh fantastic yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so there so you are I mentioned I have tickets I have tickets for uh, the 5th of November okay at the Red Chapel Cookery demonstrations and there's four people demonstrating that day I have a pair of tickets to give away to it uh, Connor Spacey from Blast uh, Books who I'll be talking to shortly on this show the wonderful Paul Flynn from the Tannery you can't miss him he's fantastic what about Dennis Cotter from Paradiso in Cork City he have been down there Vegetable Man and Richie Castillo and Alex O'Neill Maserap an, an exploration of Filipino food through an Irish cultural lens would you like to go along on the Sunday have a pair of tickets to give away all you have to do is tell Tell me, Michael is with me here from Boyne Valley Cheese. As you know, we're chatting at the moment. And he's just telling us there, he has to milk 250 what? What does he milk? 250 what type of animal? <laughs> Don't say anything. What type of animal does Michael milk? And they have to milk again this evening. Please, if you're listening carefully, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text for the tickets. You'll adore that day. They're free and you'll have a great time in Kells. I promise you. Um, Olivia, besides, I just mentioned there, you know, Paul Flynn, the McKenna's. You know something? You're getting the thumbs up from some very important people, aren't you, in the world of food and culture in Ireland? Well, when Doreena Allen asks you to come back, yeah. you know you're doing yep. something right. Yeah. OK, um, and we've just got the backing of so many 
well-established and respected people now. Um, I think it's it's that it's from the ground up. We have a very hard-working committee who really believe in it. Um, we've, like, Sally-Ann Cooney there from Boan looking on the whole drinks end of it. Kevin Sheridan feels so passionate about it. We've some amazing girls in the office there. Thank you so much to Rebecca and Emma and Siobhan. And they're all working away so hard at the minute and pulling this together. Um, but, yeah, I think we're on to a good thing because it's something you know food is a connection to everything food and music food and in literature food food you know breaks down Mm. boundaries and cultures Mm. and everything and it's time we kind of celebrate it and very exciting only two weeks ago a girl called Ella Ryan started as our new manager for the development of a centre of food culture for the Boyne Valley Um, so that's really happening you know and Samhain is hopefully going to be the flagship event for this centre going forward. And so. may I say, you've been one of the real drivers of this. Michael will uh, affirm that. You, from the very beginning, I remember, sure, I'm nearly here as long <laughs> as yourselves. Uh, I remember where it all began with the, with the germ of an idea. And look mm. at the way it's coming. And from your perspective, Michael, you, know, you have your own business, but all the other people who who produce in Louth and Meath in the North East here, the Boyne Valley, etc. You're a big family, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. And that's the, the beauty of these sort of events is it, it brings in all the producers, you know, and we, we get all in, get involved in one big event, you know, and it, it, it's definitely like a, you know, a great food family. Yeah. You know? and, and, and that is, that is, that is a great to We've feel. We have a great network yeah, there because with Valley Flavours. You know, yeah. you can be on your own, you know, I don't yeah. have to tell 100%. you it's your business, yeah, but yeah. you know, like you don't work in a place where you have colleagues or that, but I see this, this, yeah. you know, this cohesiveness yeah. that yeah. this brings, this umbrella. And we've we've a new campaign called Boyne Valley Bites, and it's not just for Samhain; it's also for Lou in Drogheda mm. this weekend coming, and Puka, yes. and it's all around getting local food on local menus. Yes. And we've twelve twelve eateries taken. Um, part so please look out for the Boyne Valley Bites sign and each eatery has put together a dedicated bite with a local pairing of a drink for these three festivals over the next couple of weekends so and Michael you were just saying you were um, I think delivering cheese to one of the eateries I just got a call I was coming here anyway into Drogheda and then Nelly's from uh, Middle of Drogheda there rang me and said uh, they wanted some cheese for this event so I said brilliant perfect there you go listen we have to leave it there today Boyne Valley Valleyflavours.ie Check out the programme Check out the bookings there All the information is there Thanks for the Kells Gin Myself and the Weasel Enjoy it Had to give you a shout Before you went It's terrific Thank you for joining me today Olivia Duff and Michael Finnegan Thanks Thanks. very much Louis Capaldi I love that song What a talent he is He's taking a sabbatical At the moment Hopefully he'll be back Soon on the scene Because he is simply outstanding, that young man. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Louise, I had to tackle a long tail fella in me garden. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. A long tail. I, uh, mice, no, the long tail is the wasn't, bigger fella. Well, wasn't a cute one. No. Long tail. I had another, I had a visitor. This time of year, Generally, uh, I get a rat or two arriving. They move, you know, with the winter time coming in and there's a lot of building going on down our direction as well. They're building a new town um, and that disturbs them as well. But I was a bit under the weather for a couple of weeks, as you know, and I wasn't out in the garden of that. And I went out, I really abandoned everything and I went out and I just saw the soil disturbed. You know, when you see something mm-hmm. that you know, that that wasn't there a little while ago. So anyway. That's the point where I'd run away screaming. Would you? Mm. 
Ah, no. Oh, I know. I wouldn't know. Oh, no, you got to tackle this head on. So I got the, I, I always have a stock of it. Anyway, the little, uh, the seeded poison, the grains, and I put down two things of it. And the first night, both were cleaned in two different spots. Second night, put down two little trays of it as well of the seeded with the with the stuff in it. Gone completely the second night. So I said, by God, this is a hungry lad. Anyway, the third night, I reloaded and it's still there. So it's he's somewhere and mm. uh, he's uh, he's been nailed. But uh, wherever he is, but that's not catch him in a in a in a big cage. And oh, my father used to do that years ago. Do you know that there's a big trend now to have them as pets? Yeah, I know people keep them as pets. Mm. Wifeless. No. no, sorry, with wheels disease and everything like that. My dad used to get caged <laughs> them. My my dad used to get them in the cages, Louise, and he'd have a barrel of water and he'd throw the cage into the water and drown the rat in oh. the cage. But I saw him coming up oh, the yard one day. You hear the squeals. <laughs> yeah, oh. no, you hear no squeals in the gun oh. of the water. That's it. Blah, 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 plenty of bubbles. Blah, 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 blah. But anyway, uh, I saw him coming up the yard one day with the cage. <laughs> Didn't the fucking rat get out? <laughs> And there's me dad. He's trying to run after him and nail, nail him. No joy, no joy. But I think he got him again. This is it true that time. if you do catch them and you let them out, it has to be like a good distance away, or they will come back, trace their steps. Oh yeah, so is that can. true? I don't know. I don't know whether. Why that, would they come back? I don't. Yeah. Why would they? Right. I had one on the stairs one day. I honest God, I was like your woman. in the house. Yeah, no. I was looking out. I was I was walking oh. away, looking down, and I saw this thing coming down, and I was like your one from Tom and Jerry. You know that jumps up in the table. <laughs> But, yeah, scary. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Late lunch, LMF from Radio After 3, Top 5 Countdown and Burke's Banter. Yes, I have a pair of tickets to give away to the uh, the uh, festival, the Sound Festival, coming up in Kells between the 2nd and the 5th to the big Kukri demonstration uh, on the 5th. It's a fantastic uh, lineup for that, I have to say. I did ask the question. Michael uh, was here with us, Michael Finnegan, a little earlier on, and Olivia Duff. And Michael was talking about what he does cheese-wise. And the question was... What animals does he milk to make his wonderful cheese? Goats. Yes, 250 goats he has. And I'm delighted to say that the tickets for that uh, event on the 5th of November are going to Hazel Harding this afternoon. Well done, Hazel. Enjoy. It'll be a cracking afternoon there. And again, check out all the information is available online on the festival site, Boyne Valley site there. Check it out. All the details are there for the events and who's coming, etc, etc. Um, back to comments on late lunch today. Uh, good afternoon, Jerry. I listened with interest to your discussion about the referees. All of us involved in clubs have had words or got involved with referees at some stage. But I have to say the vast majority are decent people and you can talk to them after a game without any ill feelings. OK, there are a small number who are full of their own importance. But this doesn't in any way excuse the violence towards them. Also, you mentioned fining clubs. While some might not accept it, but I have to say, Jerry, clubs are responsible for the safety of referees and their officials when they enter the ground. And that's a very good point and well made, Tommy. Thank you so much for getting in touch with me on the show today. Real, real thought put into that message today. Thanks indeed for taking time to send it to me. It is a huge issue. It really, really is. And I, I mentioned at the end of my chat with Column Keys. The reality is, this, and I've got annoyed with them at times. Oh, my japers, I have. I've roared at them and given out. And But I was just saying to Louise, I was saying to Louise a moment ago, and Louise is 
a great sportswoman. She is. She's at soccer games and Gaelic games. You know, she be at athletics as well, and she's on the sideline. Knows all Drinking the Drinking coffee. Yes, uh, and having a nod shout or two as well. But I was saying to you, you know what I mean, Louise. When you look at the at the games, you know, if you're supporting one team and I'm supporting the other, when you're giving out, I'm delighted, mm. and when you're and delighted. Versa. I'm giving out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the yin and the yang mm. of it. And you know And what? most of the time it's good crack. Yes. And at the end of the day, I've got annoyed, got mad with them at time and I regret things also. And I see, I honestly see, I, I don't want to take away the shouting, you know what I mean? Or the giving out. That yeah. would just kill it altogether. But when it comes to, to vile, verbal abuse, mm. physical abuse, I mean... If you do that, you should be banned forever. Get out. Get out. You're not you're not fit to be on a sideline here. I, I do think, though, a referee, the way it stands, can be very open. Like, he needs a backup. He needs mm. he needs some kind of backup. Yeah, and, and he needs backup from the club. As th- that Tommy made that great point there. The, the referee and officials are in the care of the club they're visiting. You know what I mean? That's mm. the, re- the club they are visiting. We are officiating at the match. There's a huge responsibility there, for sure. You know, but look, no referees, no games. Remember that. That's And when they withdrew their services in the soccer last year, there were no matches. Simple as that. No referees. What do you do? You're going to have no games. It's as simple and straightforward as that. Um, message in there. Uh, you need a Jack Russell dog and you won't have a rat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Or a terrier. My dad had Jack Russells and they were still, uh, but he had a great ratter. Susie was her name. Little Jack Russell. Oh, could she <laughs> nail them? Oh, get them, throw them up in the air and bump, bump, bump along the spine and that was it. Better than done. a cat, are they? Oh, listen, Jack Russell ratter. You couldn't beat it. Honestly, the mm. best really the best of the lot that's that's for sure anyway I, I, I've I've nailed you no I found clue. a photo of my um, visitor I'll show it to you did you oh song. yeah please yeah you can show yeah, it yeah he's quite big I'd and like you'll to, see why I want, I, I, I want to confirm I will confirm to listeners if it's a big rat because generally you never <laughs> see he was a small rat he was a small rat no this one was rat. massive Mahusif. Oh well, I have to see this picture and I'll report back to the listeners in a minute but in the meantime let's do this Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number two from 1991. This very week uh, at the end of October, we're concentrating on on Late Lunch this week. And it was the lead single from this group's debut album. It was interestingly produced as an instrumental first and it was called Orchestral Mix. It's such a work, but then they added the lyrics and changed it a bit and the single became a huge success across Europe. It rose to number two. This was the highest spot in the UK charts, but it was number one in many countries across Europe. And when you hear it, you'll understand it's one of the most frequently played songs at sporting events. We've been talking a lot of sport today on the show around the world. Yes, it is unlimited, too unlimited. And get ready for this. Get ready for this. It was the biggest rat I've ever seen. Ever, Thank you. ever, ever. It's Ma- I don't know why I'm saying that with a smile on my face. It's Mafusok. <laughs> it is a monster. Yeah. Wow. See? Yeah. Yes, I can I confirm. I don't know I'm smiling. I, will I don't allow- want to have massive big rats like that. And, you know. No. Oh, no, in your, in your house. I will allow Miss Walsh this one. She is 100% right. It's the first time in my life I will say... You can say it was a big rat. Thank you. Nearly it made its really own tea, was. I'd oh say, if it let in the kitchen. What did you do? Drown it? No, my husband caught it in a trap and released it somewhere. Oh. <laughs> in the field. 
Return to sender. <laughs> It never came An back. An Elvis Presley rap. Return to sender. Huh? <laughs> no, he never came back. Thankfully, touch wood. All the wood in the place. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> Sinead Burke. We love Sinead Burke, don't we, Louise? Yeah. She sends us her musings and thoughts. We call it uh, Burke's banter. And she's coming up in a moment straight after the break with Who Do I Think I Am? Mr Burke and I used to be big fans of the television programme Hair Hunters. If you haven't caught it yourself, it's easy to explain. Basically, someone with a few bob but no close family dies without leaving a will. The air hunters track down their nearest relations and arrive at their door. Hello, I am from Air Hunters and I'm contacting you about your second uncle five times removed, Harold Smith. The family member responds, I don't know who you are, what you're doing at my door with a film crew and I definitely do not know any Harold Smith. The air hunter says, Harold has left an estate behind of five million euro and you are his only living relative. Oh no, not Uncle Harry. May God be good to him. This is terrible news, but I'll respect his wishes and take the money. The takeaway here, aside from the five million, is that you wouldn't know where you'd be talking. I've been at three different do's when it turned out I was talking to a second cousin I had never met before. We are all related if you go back enough. Each family tree is only a branch of another tree and some can produce some very exotic fruit. So that was the thinking behind my sister submitting her DNA to an ancestry service, which promised to come back with a full picture of her, and by extension my, ancient origins. There followed much discussion within the family. Wasn't there a great aunt who went off to be a nun in Australia? Could this have been the Thornbird's origin story? And then there was a great uncle whom legend has it ended up in the middle of a gang shootout in 1920s New York. The parish priest had to get involved and put an advertisement in the newspapers in New York asking him to call his mother and stop making a show of us. Could we be heirs to the profits of a huge bootlegging operation in Prohibition era America? The possibilities were endless and so was the talk. Maybe instead of finding something salacious in our past... Perhaps we were related to somebody famous now. Sure, it would be standing room only at the next Burke Christmas party if newly discovered third cousin removed Dolly Parton was in town. I mean, I've always felt a kinship with Dolly. We're both small town girls with big hair and questionable dress sense. And just as I was composing what I would say on behalf of the Irish branch of the family, welcoming my Appalachian cousin into the fold, the email arrived with the results. It was disappointing to say the least. The Dolly dream died straight away, followed by the realisation that as we have no links to anyone in America, the gunfight in New York must have been the infamous uncle's final stand. Nothing from down under either. So for now, the Holy Ant's character remains blemish free. In fact, I am not a blood relation to anyone outside of Ireland. And if you were to drill down deep enough, My gene pool only extends from Kilmessen to the far side of Navan. Even the Vikings didn't interfere with us. As someone who has always viewed herself as a woman of the world, it's devastating to think I'll have to come up with a new plan to meet Dolly. My great-uncle only had a walk-on part in the story of Al Capone. And more upsetting than all of that, air hunters will never be knocking at my door. 
<laughs> Even the Vikings didn't interfere with us. I love it, Sinead. Thank you so much. We love your musings. We do. Matty's been on from RD to say referees and officials have a very difficult job, Jerry. The introduction of videos should be made and used more often. Regardless, there's no place in sport for verbal or physical abuse. They're just human. Here, here, Matty. And Rose was on to say she thinks there should be an escort off the field always. Uh, for uh, referees and officials. It is the loneliest place in the world. When teams are busy celebrating and the other team is trying to get over their loss, the poor man or woman in the middle is forgotten about. Thank you so much indeed for that, Rose. And thank you all for joining us on Late Lunch today. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive. We'll see you for the final Late Lunch of the Week tomorrow, Friday at 1.30. Have a nice evening.